0: Well, go ahead and turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. For the last three weeks, we've been looking at the steaming hot book, Song of Solomon. And if you've um, read Song of Solomon, you know that what I said is very true. And um, really, as we move on in the book, it gets hotter and it gets hotter and it gets hotter. Because this book is is all about marital intimacy and, and that's what God wants you to have. God wants you to have marital intimacy. He doesn't want your marriage just to survive. He wants your marriage to sizzle. He doesn't just want you to love one another. He wants you to be in love with one another. And there's a big difference between loving one another and being in love with one another. You see, I can love someone that I'm married to, and that means that I am committed to them. In better and worse, sickness and in health, I'm committed to stick with you. I'm committed to stand by you. Loving someone can, can cause us to be committed to them. But being in love with someone is all about the passion. It's all about the desire. And, and God doesn't just want us to love. God wants us to be in love. You see, God wants every single marriage to be a satisfying, sizzling, God-honoring marriage. And if, if we're willing to commit to the principles that we learn... In this book, in these eight chapters, we can have that kind of marriage. Now in week one, we discovered that, that intimacy, marital intimacy, is not about finding the right person as much as it is being the right person. In other words, we don't look across the table to see if the person we're married to is, is being what they need to be. We look in the mirror and we ask ourselves, am I being what I need to be? We have to ask the question, am I the kind of person that I want to be married to, wants to be married to? And so it's not so much about who we find, but who we are. Now last week we talked about sexual purity and and God's plan for sexual purity when it comes to marriage, in particular before we're married. And we discovered that, that that sexual feelings are normal. They're natural. Even for believers. Even for Christ followers. Even for people that are deeply in love with Jesus. When you build a relationship with someone. And, and you begin to become committed to someone. It's normal. It's natural to have those feelings. But God tells us. That he expects us to control those feelings until we're married. That's what God plans. That's what God desires. Now, some of you may be saying, I didn't do that. And so what about me? And, and we discovered that whatever your past may be, God can give you a brand new future. He can give you a great future if you're willing at this moment to begin to live by his word, apply his principles to your life, and follow him with all your heart. Now let me tell you why this is important. This, uh, this sexual purity is important. Because intimacy is built on trust. And if there is not purity in the relationship, then it's very difficult to build that trust and thus become intimate. Intimate. Now today, what I want us to talk about for a few minutes are some things that that can sabotage the intimacy that God desires for a marriage. And I believe that there are a lot of them. You see, when God established marriage in the Garden of Eden, and when God knit the hearts of Adam and Eve together, they lived in a sinless utopia. But it didn't take long for sin to enter the picture and, and with sin came problems. Problems that not only destroy our intimacy with God, but can destroy our intimacy with one another. And we discover that in the garden, don't we? Because when sin entered the picture, what did they immediately start doing? They started pointing fingers. They started casting blame. And the intimacy that they had before, they no longer had. You see, our enemy will do anything that he can to put a wedge between you and your spouse. And if you aren't careful, you will discover that the intimacy that you once had, the intimacy that you had when you first got married, begins to fade And you no longer have it. It's just a memory from the distant past. Now, understand, great marriages don't just happen. That's what some people think. They think, well, they're just lucky. They're they're blessed. They have a great marriage. But great marriages don't just happen. They take a lot of work, hard work, consistent work. But if you're willing to put that work into place, then the intimacy that you experience will be well worth it. Someone said marriage is like a duck. Above the water where everyone sees, everything is smooth, everything is sleek. But below the water, that duck is paddling like crazy just to stay afloat. And so whenever you see a marriage that looks great, if it really is great, you need to understand behind the scenes, you have some people that are working hard to make it great. And that's why this verse that we're going to focus on this morning is so important. Just one verse. But in this one verse, we learn some incredible truths. I want you to listen To what Solomon said in Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15. He said, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. Before they ruin your intimacy. For the grapevines are blossoming. In, In other words, we're getting started, we're dating, we are passionately in love. But if we don't guard our relationship, if we don't deal with these foxes, this love that is blossoming and growing is going to be destroyed by these foxes. Now let me give you a couple of things you need to know before we get into some practical application. First of all, that word catch, is an imperative, it's a, it's a command. You see, if you want to have intimacy, God is saying that you are commanded to catch the foxes. He's not saying this is a a good idea. He's saying you better pay attention to what I'm saying. You better take care of your vineyard. You better put the time and the effort into protecting it or you won't have it. And you better catch those foxes quickly. Because if you don't, It doesn't take long before those little foxes begin to damage your marriage. Secondly, he tells us that it's most often little things that become big problems that destroy our our marriage. It's not the big things that destroy most marriages. Most marriages do not fail because of adultery or because of abandonment or because of of abuse. Those aren't the things that destroy most marriages. Most marriages are destroyed because of little things that aren't dealt with and they become big things that destroy your marriage. When I was young, my dad bought me my very first gun and it was a 20-gauge shotgun. And we weren't big hunters. We never hunted that much. But my dad took me out in the woods in Darlington on Black Creek. And the very first thing I shot and killed was a fox. Now, I, now I've got to be honest with you. In my mind, I pictured foxes kind of like cougars and lions, tigers, these fierce, ferocious animals. But I shot this fox. It was a little tiny thing. It's about the size of a cat. It wasn't fierce, it wasn't ferocious. As a matter of fact, on on the surface, it looked cuddly. I mean, it was one of those things that you just wanted to go and pet and and rub its stomach and and have fun with it. But what Solomon says is this little tiny fox that looks innocent, that looks completely harmless if left un dealt with can destroy the vineyard of intimacy in your life. You see, what would happen is the foxes would sneak into the vineyard at night under the cover of darkness when they couldn't be seen and they would eat up the blossoming grapevine buds. And they would come back out and and the crop The vineyard that they were looking forward to enjoying and having wasn't there. Because these foxes came in and they destroyed the vineyard. Understand, if you ignore the foxes in marriage and just hope they go away, you will discover that your marriage, the one that you're committed to, is all of a sudden disappearing. The flame is is going out. The fire is is, 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 is being put out. And, and that intimacy that, that you once had, and that intimacy that you longed for and you desire, you don't have anymore. And so Solomon tells us that we've got to catch the foxes. He tells us that it's the little things that most often destroy the intimacy in our marriage. And then the third thing that I think is important before we look into some practical application is this. If you follow this chapter, it's Shulamite that is speaking to Solomon. And she's asking Solomon to guess what? Take the lead. Now listen, it takes two to catch the foxes That destroy intimacy. But Shulamite is saying, Solomon, I want you to be proactive. I want you to get involved. I want you to take the lead. Men, we can't sit on the sidelines expecting our wives to solve all the problems that are going to destroy the intimacy of our relationship. God's plan, God's desire is for us to take the initiative For us to take the lead. And ladies listen to me. When your husband. Begins to talk about those little foxes. Listen to him. Because he is trying. To protect the intimacy of your marriage. And if. Hear me. Ladies. If you shut him down. Time after time. When he begins to point out some foxes. That need to be taken care of. Before long he will shut down. And he will no longer be proactive. And you will discover that what you long for. And what he longs for. You no longer have. And so catch those foxes. All the foxes. The little foxes that can destroy the vineyard. Because the vines are blossoming, they're blooming. And so, what are some of the foxes? Well, there there are any number of foxes. But I want to give you what I believe may be the top five. Now, granted, there are a lot of them, and these may not apply to you. But I will guarantee you that at least one or two of them will apply to you. Here is the first fox that I think destroys intimacy. It's selfishness. And the Bible speaks of selfishness throughout. As a matter of fact, we're told over and over and over again that at the core, we are selfish people. We all are. I am. You are, at the core, selfish people. People And we have to fight against our selfishness. We have to fight against our self-centeredness. We have to fight against this all-about-me attitude. That it's all-about-me attitude. And if we take that selfishness into our marriage, and we do, we will discover that it eventually creates problems. And this is how we know if selfishness has raised its head. Here's the phrase that we will hear if selfishness has raised its head. Well, they're just not meeting my needs. Have you ever heard someone say that? None I have. And and of course, I may be in a different place than you are. I'm a pastor and people come and talk to me. but, But I've had... Many people sit across the table, sit in a chair across from me and and say my spouse just isn't meeting my needs. But listen, and I know this sounds a little bit different, but when you get married, it's not so much about you marrying so that someone can meet your needs. When you get married, you are marrying because the person that you're standing beside you are desiring for the rest of your life to meet their needs. It's not about your needs being met. It's about you meeting the needs of the person that you're marrying. If you want to get married so that someone else will meet your needs till the day you die, you don't want a spouse. You want a parent. If you're wanting to find a spouse, you're wanting to find someone that, that you love so much that with the grace and the help of God, you want to intersect into their lives and meet their needs. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said about marriage and needs. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, you can write this, this verse down and, and look at it a little bit later in a variety of translations. But this is what Paul said. He said, a man should fulfill his duty as a husband, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy the other's needs. You see, when we get married, it's not so much about me having my needs met as it is me committing to meet the needs of someone else. And, and so, you see, when you get married, it's not about you, it's about your spouse. Now, I know that sounds crazy, and I, I know that some of you are going, well, if I live that way, they'll take advantage of me. And if that's the attitude you have, you're already in trouble. Do you hear me? Because you're already questioning, and you're not trusting when you get married, you're saying, I want to meet the needs of my spouse. And that's tough. And you know why it's tough? Because we're so stinking different. We are. I mean, I mean, we all are different as people. I mean, Jimmy Dillon, I mean, he hunts every day of the week, 365 days a year, if he could. And he's just a big hunter. Now, now you know, in my... In my mind, I enjoy hunting. But I've hardly ever hunted. I mean, we're just different like that. Some of you are fishermen and fisherwomen. I mean, you know, I I enjoy fishing when I'm out there. But if a fish isn't biting in five minutes, I'm ready to move on to something else. We are different. All of us are. And here's the thing. If you take this idea that we're different and you talk about men and women, you can amplify those differences. Over 20 years ago, there was a secular book written by John Gray. Many of you probably know it. It was entitled Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus that became an overnight bestseller because it resonated with people. Because it said, we're from different planets. We're totally different. Someone said it this way. They said, men are like dogs, women are like cats. And then they went on to say this. Let me read this to you. said, a man is like a dog. If you feed him, praise him, play with him on a regular basis, you'll have a happy dog and you'll have a happy man. On the other hand, a woman is far more complex, mysterious, much like a cat. Cat can walk into a room and you look at it and it looks at you. It walks over to you and begins to purr and rub you again, rub against your leg in a sweet and gentle fashion. The cat then quickly turns around, walks out the room and you say, that was a really sweet cat. However, a few minutes later, that same cat walks into the room. You look at it, it looks at you. Suddenly without provocation and warning, the cat leaps for your face and tries to claw your eyeballs out. Now, that was the same cat that came in so sweet and gentle a few minutes ago, but something happened while that cat was out of the room. You have no idea what it was, but it certainly changed the disposition of that cat in a matter of seconds. Amen? I mean, we're different. We're different. And here's what happens. Hear me. Even at our best, when we say, okay, I don't want to be selfish. I want to try to meet the needs of our spouse most often we don't know what those needs are. We sit back and we think, well, here are my needs. And if these are my needs, they must be my spouse's needs. And so we go about meeting the needs that we think are their needs and they aren't their needs. There's a great book. I recommended it to you in week one, His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. You need to buy that if you're married. If you ever want to get married, you need to buy that. If you're not married and you're older and you've got grandkids, you need to buy it and give it to them because it's a good book. It's written by a marriage counselor, psychologist, who, who has counseled thousands and thousands of couples, and, and over the course of that counseling, he came up with what he believed were the five basic needs of a man, the five basic needs of a woman, and they're totally different, as you can imagine. And, and I just want to give them to you. We don't have time to unpack them, but I want to give them to you. First of all, a woman's needs, and I'm going to tell you what to do with these after we get through. But first, a woman needs affection. What he says is that's probably your wife's number one need and perhaps a man's number one failure. And by the way, affection isn't sex. You need to understand that. Affection is is shown by our words. Affection is shown by our kindness affection is shown by a gentle touch with no ulterior motive. And, men, you know what I'm talking about. You know, when we start hugging up and holding hands, and what, you know, we're thinking this is a prelude. And can I tell you, your wife knows whether you think it's a prelude or not. And and if you just start showing affection to your wife because you just love her and want to meet her needs... It will do wonders. The second need of a woman is communication. What he says is that if you will communicate with your wife, you'll have an inside track to her heart. It's verbal affection. Third, your wife needs openness and honesty. She needs to know that she can trust you. And that requires for you to tell her things. You're going to have to be willing to be transparent with her. The fourth need of a wife is financial security. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But then finally, uh, the final need is commitment. Proverbs 5, verse 15 says, Be faithful to your own wife. Give your love to her alone. Your wife needs to know that you're committed to her through the long haul. And, And men, let me tell you, when you do those things, when you seek to meet their needs, your marriage is going to be a whole lot better. So those are... A woman's five basic needs, according to Willard Harley, what is a man's five basic needs? Well, number one, you guessed it, sex, sexual fulfillment. Willard Harley said if the greatest need of a woman is affection, the greatest need of a man is sexual intimacy. And by the way, let me just say this to you ladies. Uh, There's only one place that that sexual need is to be fulfilled, and that's in the marital bond. Between a man and a woman, that's the only place. And and if your husband married you, what that's saying is out of all the women in the world, he chose you to meet the deepest, greatest need in his life. Now, some of you are going, Well, I cook for him. He can order takeout. You say, Well, I do his laundry. He can take his clothes to the dry cleaner. You say, well, I clean his house. There's lots of people that will do that for you. And none of those things are wrong. If you want to order takeout, that's not sin. If you want to take your clothes to the dry cleaner, that's okay. If you want to get someone else to clean your house, that's perfectly all right. But but your husband can't call someone else to meet that need. Sexual fulfillment. The second thing a man needs is companionship. Remember in the garden, God said it's not good for man to be alone. A man needs companionship. Now women build their relationship through communication. Most men build their relationship through companionship. That's why you see young girls have sleepovers and they sit on the bed and they giggle and they talk. And little boys have campouts where they play capture the flag and Football when they get all sweaty and smelly and stinky, because they build relationships through doing. You've heard the old saying, "The family that prays together stays together." Ladies, you need to understand that the family that plays together stays together. Third, a man needs an attractive wife. Now, some of you are going to say, "Well, I knew men were pigs." I know you're going to say that, but you need to understand that you. Are the gauge of attractiveness for your husband. When he married you, you were that gauge of attractiveness. And, and all you need to understand is, is men are visual. And, and that man wants to know that the woman he married is, is still doing everything she can to make herself beautiful for him. Fourth, a man needs support. He needs to know that his wife has his back. And then finally, a man needs admiration and affirmation. Did you know most studies reveal that men are more insecure than women? You say, I don't believe that study. I'm just throwing the studies out to you. They may be wrong for you. But most studies reveal that men are more insecure than women. And and what that means is men need their wives to be their number one cheerleader now as we share these needs understand this doesn't mean that this is your wife's needs this doesn't mean that this is your husband's needs but what this tells you is that you need to sit down with your spouse if you're married you need to have a powwow with them and say what are your top five needs think about it and and give me those one through five What are your top needs, and and how can I, in a loving way, meet those needs? Because that's the desire of my heart. Selfishness. The number two, Fox, I believe, is, is boredom. The honeymoon is over, you come back home, you go back to work. All of a sudden, you have kids. You get busy making money and making a living And before long, you discover that you're no longer spending time together. You're no longer taking the time to work on your relationship. You're taking it for granted. And you wake up one morning, and you're thinking, we don't have fun anymore. And there are a lot of couples that do that. Now, there's a biblical example of this, not about marriage but about the church. In in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is giving a letter to churches and he's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And this is what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus. He says, you have forsaken your first love. And then listen to what he said. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Years ago, I was reading that passage, and I know it's speaking to the church. But all of a sudden, God just spoke to me and said, Rocky, the same thing that we do with God, we do in our marriages. When we're dating, we put effort, we put energy in making sure that we have a fun time together. And then all of a sudden we get married and everything changes. And our life gets boring. So what do you do? You've got to go back and do those things you did at the first. When you fell in love with one another when you enjoyed being with one another, when you just laughed like crazy in one another's presence. You go back and you start doing those things. It may have been playing silly board games. It may have been going on hikes. It it, it could have been a variety of things. I, all of us are different. But you know those things that you did together, that you enjoyed with one another, that... Just lit both of your fires. And what we need to do is we need to go back and we need to revisit and and ask ourselves, why have we lost the fire? And, And oftentimes we've lost the fire because the things that built the fire, we are no longer doing. And we've got to go back. And we've got to start having some fun again. If your relationship is getting boring, you and your spouse may be committed to one another, but I'll guarantee you, you don't have intimacy. The third fox that can destroy your intimacy is, is finances. In, in many marriages, this is what I've discovered. You have a spendthrift and a tight None. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? A spendthrift is somebody that has no concept of money. You know, money really does grow on trees. I mean, if we run out, all we need to do is print some more. And then you have people who are tightwads. I, I know that you said you need a new pair of underwear. And I know that those have five holes in them. But I think you can last a little bit longer. They're only ten years old. You you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, some of us are spendthrifts. We just can't. Money burns a hole in our pocket, and some of us are tightwads. And can I tell you, in a marriage, it's probably good to have a spendthrift and a tightwad because you balance one another. I I mean, I'm serious when I say that. Tightwads never have any fun. And you know the, the old saying, you can't take it with you? That is true. I mean, some people save and save and save so that one day they can have some fun and they die before they ever have fun. And so you need to guard against that, but at the same time, you need to guard against spending everything that you have because if you do, you're going to be really bad off when you get to retirement age if the Lord tarries. Did you know that 64% of families argue over money, 54% of divorces occur over money the mismanagement of our money can make our life miserable it can destroy relationships but there are several things you can do again we don't have time to go into these in detail I'm going to give them to you You can study them for yourself but you've got to come up with a plan that's just a budget you've got to come up with a plan how much do we make how much are we spending And if what you're spending is more than what you make, can I just give you a little mathematical formula? You're either going to cut what you spend or you've got to make more. Amen? I mean, you can't continue to spend more than you make. And you say, well, we just can't live on what we make. Yes, you can. It may not be as fun. But you can live on what you make. I mean, my wife and I, can, can I just be transparent for just a moment? I don't want to get into this in detail. This is for another day. But I mean, up until the last several years, I mean, my wife and I from day one when we made hardly nothing. I mean, we just chose not to spend a lot of money on vacations and things like that. I mean, I had friends, I had family members that would, you know, spend a whole lot of money to go on these trips and these exclusive vacations and different things like that, and that's good, that's great, and there's no problem with that, but we chose not to do that. We chose to to take every little bit of money we had over what our expenses were, and we poured it into paying off our house. And because, listen, because we chose to sacrifice A little bit early on. My wife and I are at a place now. Where if we want to do something like that. We can. And I hope that I don't die tomorrow. (laughs) Because I'll regret not going on some of those things earlier on. But I mean we set ourselves up. So that we can do things for our kids. We can do things for our grandkids. We We can do things for ourselves. You got to come up with a plan and stick with the plan. Second of all, you need to save for the future. The future is coming. And for some of you young people that say I'm going to rely on social security. <laughs> really? You really think it's going to be around? You got to save for the future. Third, you got to learn to enjoy what you already have. Fourth, You need to give back to God. Follow that plan and it will help you financially. The fourth fox that will destroy your intimacy is communication. Couples report that the number one problem they face in marriage is a breakdown of communication. Communication can either be the buoy that holds a relationship up or a weight that brings it down. And it's little surprise that marriages are in such dire strait today when the average couple spends less than an hour a week in meaningful conversation. You got to talk. Now, and here's what you need to understand. Just as in most marriages you have a spendthrift and a tightwad to some degree... And in most marriages, you've got different personalities. And in most marriages, you've got somebody that's real neat and someone that's just absolutely sloppy. Y'all discovered that? Opposites do attract. I mean, in most marriages, you have someone that just talks up a storm and someone that hardly ever talks. And, and typically, it, it's the man that doesn't talk as much. It's the woman that talks more. That's typically Statistics reveal that the the average man speaks 12,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 25,000 words a day. So what that means is a man goes to work, he uses up his 12,000 words, he comes home. His wife, either she's stored up all her words, or at the very least she's got 12,000 left over. I mean, she wants to talk and... And, I mean, the guy's just ready to sit and vegetate. But what you need to understand, remember what I said, communication is verbal affection, guys, to your wife. You need to learn how to communicate with your wives. And let me give you some quick tips. First, communication doesn't begin with the mouth. It begins with the ears. We have to listen to what one another is saying. Now, let me explain something Hearing is passive. Listening is active. I can know what my wife says without listening to her. Can some of y'all do that? You know what I'm talking about? Last night I was working on my message and she was in the kitchen and she was talking about something... And I was in there and I didn't respond to her. She asked a question or said something. She was cleaning the kitchen. Normally I'm helping her. And let me just put out my card there. Normally I help her. But I was finishing up my message. And so she was saying something and I heard what she said. She said, you're not listening to me, are you? And I said, this is what you said. Bop, 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 bop. I repeated it word for word. Don't tell her this. But I wasn't listening to her. I heard her. But I wasn't listening. You see, listening is when you're engaged. Did you know that the overwhelming majority of what we say doesn't come from our words? Only 7% of what we say come from our words. The rest of it comes from our tone or, or from our body language. And statistics reveal, get this, because you better, you better understand this, because some of you are saying, you know, well, my wife tells me that I'm not reading her correctly. Ladies, listen to me. Statistics reveal that your spouse reads you correctly the overwhelming majority of the time. And so quit playing that card. Oh, that's not, you, you just read me wrong. No, he didn't. No, she didn't. You're mad. Admit it. (laughs) Admit you're ticked off. Admit you're frustrated. Admit it. Because your body language and your tone communicates something. And so communication begins not with our mouth but with our ears. Second, focus on what she wants to talk about. Your spouse. Learn to tell her what's going on in your life, men. Women tend to be amplifiers. Men tend to be condensers. You know, you come home, your wife says, How was your day? Great. Tell me about it. Well, it was great. And the reason is we condense things, our wives amplify. No, give me all the details. Who did you meet with? Who did you talk to? What did you do? Who did you see? I don't remember. That's how we are. But men, we've got to learn to communicate. Set aside every day to talk to your spouse. It may be at dinner, at the table, whatever. Now here's the final fox. And let me get this and we need to close. The final fox is conflict. You see, we don't know how to fight constructively. Now let me tell you something. Because you need to understand this. Conflict in marriage is inevitable. Couples that say that they don't fight are either lying or they have bigger problems. Did you hear me? I want you to hear me. Conflict is inevitable. And so if a couple says, I don't fight, either they're flat out lying or there's a bigger problem. Now what is the bigger problem? The one who is disconnected, has either been abused or neglected to the point that they have just chosen to roll over or stay cold and retreat. Because when you get two people together with divergent opinions and views and personalities and ideas, you're going to have conflict. Conflict is an Inevitable. It's not are we going to have conflict? it's what are we going to do when we have conflict? Now and here's what most people do. They choose to either fight, we've got a conflict, and the goal of a conflict is to what? to win it. And so we fight. And we get our argument down pat. We get ready. We take no prisoners. I'm going to win this thing. And can I tell you, when you fight in a conflict, you have no winners. The second thing that most people do is they flee. I'm not going to deal with this. It's uncomfortable. Leave me alone. And in in five minutes and ten minutes and an hour, I'll be okay. I don't want to talk about this. And you come back and and you've moved on. But listen to me. Look, you haven't moved on. Because you haven't resolved the problem. You've just covered it up. You've buried it. But it is going to come back. And so what do you do? Well, you dialogue. You deal with the issues. So let me give you some guidelines. You choose to react, to act, not react. Acting is proactive. Reacting is reactive. <laughs> and you don't react to what it is that sets you off. You act. Second, you define the issue. What is the issue that has created the conflict? And may I say to you, listen, if the issue is an issue that continues to come up over and over and over, you've never resolved it. Does that make sense to you? I mean, if it's the same issue that comes up, you didn't resolve it. You buried it. You ignored it. Someone lied about it, but you didn't resolve it. Third, you've got to be honest on how you feel. Your feelings are an important part of this thing. Because the fact of the matter is, sometimes your spouse may say something or do something that they really do not understand causes you to feel a certain way. You may have a a harsh tone about you. And you don't even realize it. And because of that, your spouse is feeling beat up and beat down. Or or yelled at. And, And all you have to say is, you need to understand when your tone gets like that, I feel like. So you've got to tell how you feel. As you're dialoguing, don't just focus on the problem, focus on the good. I mean, as you're dealing with problems, if all you ever do is focus on the bad, then it's going to create a critical spirit. Finally, determine to talk. And I say finally, there is one more. Determine to talk about this rather than walk away. Commit to resolve it. And that takes me to the final thing. You've got to be willing to forgive. Forgive. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's a good word for married couples, isn't it? Have you ever gone to bed angry with your spouse? Did you raise your hand? Yeah, a bunch of liars. I I mean, I I have. I, I have. And can I tell you what I do? When, when I go to bat, bed angry and mad, then you may not do this, but what I do is I go, when I go to bed angry and mad, I, I, I'm on the very edge of the bed facing the wall away. If my wife comes in after me, I fake that I'm asleep. If her toe touches me, I move it. There's no toe action here. It's no touchy at all when I go to bed angry. And for me, I'm a huffer. You see, some people, when they go to bed angry, they're silent. For me, even when I'm faking that I'm asleep, I huff. <sighs> some of you know what I'm talking about, do you? And, and that, that, that creates problems. You don't go to bed angry. Now, some of you, some of you may have to stay up for three or four nights. I mean, but what you do is you resolve, we're not going to go to bed angry, angry. We're going to solve this thing before we go to bed. So you learn to fight constructively. Conflict is inevitable, but we're not going to have winners or losers. We're going to resolve this thing. Now, here's what I know. All of these foxes that I've addressed, they're just some of the foxes. And what Solomon says in this love song is you've got to catch all the foxes, those little foxes that come into the vineyard. And you may have others, but hear me, as a couple, if you really want this passionate intimacy that you read about in Song of Solomon, you're going to have to work at this. If it's selfishness, you're going to have to admit it. If it's finances, you're going to have to address it. If it's communication, you're going to have to step out and learn how to communicate. If it's boredom, you're going to have to start having some fun. If it's you fight to win or you flee from the fight, you've got to quit it because it's destroying your intimacy. And here's what I know. The Holy Spirit of God who gave us the book of Song of Solomon... Want you to have an intimate relationship with the person you're married to. And his power, living in you and working through you, can help you. I want you to bow your head. Now I want you to close your eyes, and with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, for you who are married, I don't want you to talk to your spouse right now, but but I want you to begin to think. Is our relationship sizzling hot, passionate? Is it intimate, like Solomon and Shulamite? And we're not talking about physical intimacy, because the physical intimacy is only a part of it we're talking about, I am still passionately in love with my spouse. I'm not just committed. I'm in love. That's what God wants. And so if you're not there, identify. What are those little foxes? And men... I would encourage you to be proactive. Sit down with your spouse and begin to talk through those things. Ladies, if your spouse isn't here in a gentle way, when you go home, just encourage the two of you to listen to this message together when it's posted online in a couple of days. And then talk about these things. Because that's what God desires. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, create in us an intimate, passionate love for our spouse, those of us who are married. Lord, I pray for those that are aren't. We will prepare for this. For those who Lord, are not looking to be married. Lord, we will be an encouragement to those who need this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.